Good morning. How was how was Thanksgiving? Was it wonderful? Wonderful is good. Good. Mike, let's see. We had a great Thanksgiving. I'm incredibly thankful. Uh, and so my three daughters and three sons-in-law and seven grandchildren were in our house for a full week. <laughs> and they left this morning. And we are still thankful <laughs> that they left this morning. Uh, very, very wonderful time. Uh, and very much time to get back to work. Because I have a week left of teaching school. <laughs> Ever. All right? So. Uh, but we'll always make you teach class. <laughs> well, you know, this is, this is the easy stuff because you're here because you want to be. <laughs> I don't ever get to do that. This is, this is very different. And watch in a few minutes. I'm going to ask a lot of questions, and I fully expect answers and comments. And if I don't get them, then, Lauren, you're up in a hurry. <laughs> All right? So let's talk a little bit. Uh, about where we've been. Now, I missed the last Sunday, uh, and so I don't know what you said, so if I repeat anything, uh, just let me know, and then, Lauren, you'll be up. Right? So, uh, we've been looking at the church uh, in the last, uh, I think, couple of weeks. And, of course, we started at creation, Adam and Eve, and we've moved through Abraham, Israel, kings, prophets, Jesus. Spent a lot of time with Jesus, and so now we're at church. Next, we're headed for the final days, the eschaton, if we can use the big word, because it's hard to know what other, other word to use there. So, um, Messiah had come. This is the background that... The church doesn't make any sense without. Uh, the Messiah had come. The Messiah turned out not to be quite what they were expecting. A Messiah who gives. A Messiah who dies. A Messiah who's resurrected. And then the Messiah who sends his spirit. And there's the foundation for what for everything that's going to come. Now, it's the renewal of Israel. It's not the rejection of Israel. It's the group in Israel who is the remnant uh, they, re they are restored, Israel, re uh, God restores his people, those who respond and accept Jesus. Had to be hard. Uh, when, when Josh was thinking, was talking today about family, uh, and hate your father and your mother and that sort of thing, and uh, hate is too strong a word for us to take literally, and yet families were breaking up over Jesus. I mean, it was happening. We're so fortunate we don't have too much of that that has happened in this room. There's probably been a little. But can you imagine somebody comes home to their Jewish family and they say, I found the Messiah. And they say, you found the Messiah, huh? I've, I've heard about him. Yes. And he's saying that we're not going to defeat the Romans. We're going to love the Romans. And we're going to serve and even give our lives for others. And they're going, Yeah. And this is what you're excited about? We've got no interest in that. In fact, you have given up the faith. And so they're at odds with each other. So think about what you had this week 
And think about what it would have been if you had talked about Trump and Biden the whole time. Okay, that's not quite what it was. It was much bigger than even that. I hope you didn't talk about that this weekend. We didn't have a political word in our house, so it was nice. So, uh, we talked a little bit about in the early church about baptism, Lord's Supper, just the deep koinonia that they had. Fellowship's not a good enough word. It's that those deep relationships. Uh, and so today we're to talk about the mission of the church. And so I want this uh, today, my part at least, to be a discussion of what it is that we are supposed to be doing. And the question then is, are we doing it? And this is not one of those, we're so terrible kind of groups, but it is kind of discussions, but it is what could we be doing? You know, what should we be doing? God sends his, God sent his son to start the new Israel, and the new Israel is supposed to be, get ready for this, kind of the answer to the world's problems. <laughs> We're going to spread and save the world. <laughs> How's that working out? I mean, you can argue that a couple of different ways. It's pretty delightful that there are 2 billion Christians across the world, even though we're declining here. They're growing. We're declining. We should be grateful for this huge growth. But maybe even just in America, we, we can talk in a few minutes, what should we be doing? Uh, and so the question is, what is the mission of the church? Why do we exist? What did God have in mind by doing this strange thing of saying, I'm going to stick with Israel. In fact, it was always the plan. Uh, and Israel's going to be a little different now. Uh, anybody grow up in churches of Christ 50, 60 years ago? What was the purpose of the church? What were the three things that we're about? I assume you had these same thoughts up here in uh, Tennessee that we had in Alabama and Georgia. What are the three things? Evangelism. Evangelism. There you go. Somebody knows this. What's number two? Potlucks. <laughs> we did that pretty well. That's number two. Evangelism. Edification. We are here to edify each other and to teach each other and that thing. Is this becoming? Do you, anybody remember this? Where, where I'm we going? Didn't do that. Did they all start with E? No. Okay. Start with E? No. Y'all didn't know edification. They did this in Tennessee. You guys just didn't go to a church. Five steps. We can do that. And the organization of the church. Okay, we won't. Uh, uh, I never did three. Five, five acts of worship. Okay. Evangelism. Edification and benevolence. No. Nobody knows this? No. Uh, you're bad Christians. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No wonder I'm teaching and you're listening. Because you never really learned. Oh, my. And it's really not time to unlearn that. Those are true as far as they go. Those would be pretty nice things to do. Uh, we never paid as much attention to benevolence. Uh, we did have a food pantry. And so if you were willing to make the right promises about what you'd do, we'd give you food. It wasn't quite that bad. All right. So what do y'all think we're supposed to be doing? What is the purpose of the church? What is the mission of the church? Make disciples. 
make disciples, all right? You're going the evangelism route to some extent. Is that the same as evangelism? I'm just curious. It's part of it. Okay, all right. Spreading the word, and I think we've always assumed that means not just baptizing people, but also teaching them to do all things that I have commanded you, as Jesus said, right? Uh, make each other to uh, become real disciples. What, uh, what else? For me, the bottom line has always been try, as, try to emulate Christ. Try to emulate Christ, all right. Uh, and is this an individual thing, uh, uh, individual thing, or is this a group thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got to be both, right? Um, I'll hold off on this just a minute, but you can't do it alone. But if you just let the group do it, you're not, you're not involved. So. Yeah, it seems like there's got to be both. But uh, the individual thing, I want to talk in a few minutes about how well that works for us. Because over half of Christians don't go to church anymore in the United States. That's kind of a, well, I'll let you uh, talk about that. Uh, What else? What are we trying to do? Bringing the kingdom of God. Oh, what? I was going to say bringing the kingdom of God into reality. Okay, bringing the kingdom of God into reality. Yeah, there's, there's that big picture thing. We are actually trying to, we are really trying to save the world. I mean, we're trying not just to uh, get the next door neighbor, which is marvelous, and that may, that's my part perhaps, but I need to see it under this much bigger umbrella. Uh, this is one step to uh, bringing in the world under the, uh, under the leadership of God, or to, to worship God. Uh, what else? Show God to the world. Show God to the world. All right. Yes, to uh, to to show this much better um, life that they can have in God. Um, yeah. What else? Anybody else? Yes. You know, the discipleship mentioned earlier, I think, also has a uh, edification angle in terms of again amongst together on iron sharpening iron. Okay. All right. Yes. I mean, yes. This may not be the group to talk to about the importance of church because here you are, not just at church, but you stayed for Sunday school or you got here early for Sunday school. How many of you go to first service? I'm just wondering. Yes. All right. Keep up that acapella. It's so beautiful. How Church of Christ are you? <laughs> Isn't that surprising? I love the old songs, but that's another. I'm, I like the second service as well. But I got to get home so I can get to the lake. And that's, I'm, that's just another thing we used to do. I got no boat. I got no lake house. It's a little, little chilly. Okay. Um, so I'm going to go back and do this kind of uh, theologically and historically, and it's basically what you've just said. But the purpose of the church is to carry on what God wanted his people, his two people to do from the very beginning. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God, and they were asked to live into the image of God. You know, you could say that the fundamental commandment in the Bible is be holy as 
I am holy. And so we're made in the image of God so that we have that ability to think about what is holy. We have the ability to choose what is holy. We have the ability as well as we can, if Adam and Eve hadn't messed it up so bad, to live into that holiness. And now fortunately we have the ability, uh, and there's always been some ability to live into that holiness. But now with the presence of the Spirit within us, we have a greater ability to do that. So that's at least part of it, is for us, not just individually, but as a church, to be the people of God. Now, when we go back to Adam and Eve, we're thinking much more individually, right? But uh, after the fall, then uh, God finds Abraham, a man of great faith, and says, I'm going to kind of start over through you uh, and... The promise, again, is great nation, a lot of descendants, a uh, piece of land to put the kingdom on, and all nations be blessed through you. And so as we've been arguing in here, if the church is basically that community that Abraham was the father of, and that is Israel, Israel was created ultimate purpose was to be the light shining in the world. And Israel tried to do that. I'm convinced at their best they tried to do that, to be the light shining in the world. What they weren't very good at, and I think they probably weren't supposed to be good at this, is um, bringing others under the um, the rule of God. Uh, they were told to be a distinct nation. They were given a bunch of rules that kind of ensured they were going to be a distinct nation. You're not going to work on Saturdays. That wasn't real popular uh, with, with non-Jews. Uh, you're not going to be able to eat some of the best food out there. Uh, people said, why would we not be able to eat catfish at Uncle Bud's? Uh, why would we not be able to, uh, to eat pork barbecue up at Corky's? Uh, and, of course, for the men, you're going to be circumcised. And they said, why would we do that? They were intentionally separated. They did all sorts of other things. Uh, and, but at the end of times, it was always supposed to be that all the nations would be welcomed into God's people. That's what begins with the Messiah, Jesus and that's what becomes, uh, begins with the Spirit of God coming within us. And so, kind of theologically and given God's works throughout time, we are that group. We are the group that not only is holy, made in the image of God, but is attracting the rest of the world to us. But not just that, by living the sort of lives we're supposed to, not just that, though, by going out and getting them. All right, by living next door and living the sort of holy life and serving life and giving self up for the neighbor life that they are just almost compelled to join this thing. Now, that's not working as well as we would uh, like for it to be. Okay, one more. Let's, let's go back. Image of God. Be like God. 
what else Adam and Eve told all the way back at the very beginning? What was their job? Rule. Rule. Rule over the earth. All right. Uh, so human beings were given the job of taking care of God's creation, uh, giving it order. John Mark argues a lot in the book, if you've been reading it, that the garden was this perfect, wonderful area. There was still a lot of chaos out there, though. The world had not been fully formed. In fact, how were humans going to be able to reach out all over the world and take care of this giant planet? They were to, what's that? By multiplying. By multiplying, that's right. Be fruitful and multiply. God didn't just want a relationship and the partnership with Adam and Eve. Uh, he wanted Adam and Eve to have children and for them to have children, for them to have children, so that you had this wonderful society of people who were kind of like God in a lot of ways, who took care of each other and who took care of his creation. Uh, and so went out and domesticated the animals and grew crops and cut down the kudzu. Y'all remember kudzu? Uh, that was from the devil. That's exactly right. And tried to wipe out mosquitoes, but it hasn't happened yet because we still uh, live under the power of the fall. And very fallen, for example, or cats. Uh, dogs obviously didn't fall very... We're going the wrong direction. <laughs> okay. Be fruitful, fill the world, uh, bring the world to God, and as you, as you move on, fight the principalities and the powers. Because not all the world was going to obey. The power that was released at the fall had infected not just us individually, but the entire world the structures of the world, the structures of human government, uh, the, uh, the climate itself. And so we got hurricanes and we got tornadoes. We've got disease. We've got wars going on right now that just scare me to death and just make me uh, so sad. And God said, I want you to go out and I want you to fight this mess. And I want you to defeat it. So here's the question I want to spend just a few more minutes on. Given that that is the, uh, the goal of the church, that is what we're put here for, how could we do that better? I, I, I think we're having some effect, but how could we have so much more effect in fighting all of the, all of the greed and all of the disease and all of this. How, what would it take for us to do better as the church? Get out of the church's bubble. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. See other people. Yeah. Interact with other people. Yeah. Yeah. I teach at Lipscomb University. I teach Lipscomb. I teach students who are Christians. My other jobs have been working in churches, preacher and college minister and that kind of stuff. Guess how many friends I have outside the church? 
It's not that many. I've been doing a little better lately. And I like those people I found out. Those, those are pretty good folks. But I, was, I grew up in church. You know, every service, my dad's an elder, everything has been always. Uh, and so my neighbors, there's some of them I haven't known very much. Fortunately, I know them all now because they all go to churches of Christ. We live on a cul-de-sac. <laughs> We're a little cult there. Uh, it's unbelievable. I'm, I'm serious, unfortunately. Or, yeah, unfortunately. So, yes, get outside of our little bubbles and actually work really hard uh, to have relationships uh, with, with people. What else? Love people instead of being argumentative. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. What's that? Politics or whatever? Yeah. 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 What what if we led with uh, with love and service? I'm talking about the two billion Christians around the world. What if we were known primarily for love and service? not for moralism, trying to condemn those who didn't live as we'd like. I don't like what that's doing. I want to fight that. But how am I going to fight the ways of living? And I'm not, I'm not talking about just the ones that are on our minds right now, just the, the culture wars. I'm talking about greed. <laughs> and I'm, I'm talking about just the plain selfishness and that sort of thing. Um, can you imagine... Two billion of us being a little more authentic. Uh, how would that happen, though? What makes you guys authentic when you're the most authentic? What what brings that out um, in you? For me, it, it's um, finding a good work and joining it rather okay. than I, I have trouble, you know, on my own creating anything, and I, and I don't think it's necessary. I mean, when I heard uh, Bethany. William's story about how she started Exile International. I mean, that's amazing. Yes. And I wish that I could do something like that, but I yes. don't know that I will. But I can, I can support her and, and what she's doing. That's Same right. with Mitts, when I heard how they reach out to so many people yeah. and what they do, how holistic it is, yeah. and be able to join them. And I think, for me, it takes... Um, I have to um, practice uh, self-sacrifice too. I think it's it's not just giving what what I can. I think that I can live without what I yeah. what I that's can. Right. Right. I, I think it has to be sacrificial too. Yeah. And I think that's not just. I've the got church some ex- really helps me with that too. Hearing that and and being involved in that and then. Yeah, Just, I was about to ask: Is Bethany doing this pretty much alone? No, <laughs> no. Could Bethany do this alone? No. Could Bethany have anything like that kind of influence? No, no. Okay. But she started it. I mean, Absolutely she no. And saw and you got to have wonderful yeah. leadership, and then you got to have wonderful fellowship. And she That's wasn't so disappointed that, because she thought, if people knew about this, she thought, I, she never heard of it before, all these yeah, child yeah, soldiers yeah, and all. Yeah, and she, so she yeah, went and told yeah, people. She even yeah, went to Geneva and yeah. told them. What? And she was disappointed that it wasn't just... Yeah. Movements like that. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Movements like that that are changing the world yes. life really by is. life. That's where Christianity yeah. is growing. Yes, sir. Uh, I think of you know, what keeps coming up in my head is Ted Lasso, Be Curious, Not Judgmental, which is attributed to Walt Whitman. Yeah. Um, I don't think you can change someone's mind by uh, arguing with them. I think uh, it's more tell me about you and I'll tell you about me and find yeah. common ground and yeah. learn. Uh, yeah. I think that's the only way you can actually change someone's perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. So persuasiveness and lifestyle. What if we were doing that about the political thing? What if I've got this pipe dream of Christians being united because instead of kind of fighting each other. Once again, when I learned about uh, evangelism, edification, and benevolence, when you weren't listening, whoever was talking to you, uh, I also learned that what we wanted to do was fight against the Baptists across the street. Amen. And especially the Catholics. And so we would go out and throw rocks at them after church across the That wasn't quite that bad. But our, we said... Better to be an atheist than a Baptist. I heard that stuff. Now, we're, we're, we're beyond some of that, but I'm not sure that's because we're... Well, I don't know why. I, I think we got... I, I think we just got tired of all that fighting, but I'm not sure that we are uniting together. Think about the power of two billion people living the lives we're supposed to be living. And so rather than destroying each other, we're out trying to uh, take care of each other. Uh, we actually could take care of the poor. Sometimes I hear people saying, the government shouldn't be giving out money to the poor. Uh, that ought to be done by uh, Christians. And I'm kind of going, do you know Christians? Uh, sorry to be that, uh, George would say, cynical about it. Uh, <laughs> But just imagine. The, the Jews actually did much better than we do on this unity thing. Now, not suggesting for a moment that all the Jews in the first century were united. But most of them did. They were in this huge network of synagogues across the world. And they all kind of looked to Jerusalem. And they were united to that extent. Now, the Samaritans... They were followers of God. They didn't buy into that. The Essenes kind of lived out by themselves. But 95% of the Jews across the world were united. And they, were, they knew very well the synagogues in the cities around them. And so you had this thing going on. Imagine if that kind of could be happening. How could we be fighting, uh, well, I just mentioned poverty. Think we could do that if, an, if a quarter of the world were Christian? And we're even more now. I'm not saying take over the government's role, but it wouldn't be so bad if we had some kind of structure uh, in which we could do that and we were known for that. How, how would we fight uh, the forces of government evil? And there's some of that going on, right? Now, this would be very easy for me to say. Fortunately, America's very do, doing very well. Uh, look at the Russians. And what has happened to the church in Russia? They've been completely co-opted. Yeah. Who's their main guy? Yeah, that's happened for a long time. The Russian Orthodox Church and the state are basically one. And so you got the 
head of the Rus Russian Orthodox Church saying attacking Ukraine is a good thing. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. Uh, so imagine what could have happened, what could be happening uh, in terms of war. Uh, what about disease? We could be taking care of people, not just Medicaid, Medicare, helping pay for people's uh, uh, medicine and surgery, but also taking care of them. I, I don't help help me out. What are some other things that if the world, if the church were united, that could be happening? You know, everything that you, everything, every example that you've given, I can think of a Christian response to that. Yeah. You know, that yeah. there's MediShare, which yeah. is a Christian organization that that um, attempts to share bills, uh, medical bills. Yeah. I, I was thinking while, while you're reading John Ortberg's book about talking about how Christians, the early Christians developed orphanages yeah. and yeah. hospitals. Yeah. And if it weren't for orphanages yeah. and hospitals, I mean, that was the impetus for orphanages and hospitals. And I, I see so many uh, individual responses as opposed to uh, church unilateral. I mean, we, of course, have made the streets and, and uh, yeah. digging wells and all that, which which are tremendous. But I think about that Brantley guy that, that did the Ebola. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, he, he left, I think about Dr. Vanderpool who uh, was from Brentwood, and he sold his practice, moved to Haiti. I just found out this past week that he has a um, clinic in Ramallah in Israel as well. I mean, he's, he's branched out all... It's just individual Christians doing what needs to be done in response to that. Yeah, yeah. If they have the resources to do that. I'm sorry? If they have the resources to do that. Right, yeah. And so you got some leadership. And what I want to argue about all of these is, all of these, yeah, is you cannot do it without the church. There's some wonderful things being done by individuals. By, In fact, I know a lot of wonderful liberals who are agnostics who are doing some really good stuff. I don't know enough. I don't think that's a majority. I think it's a tiny minority. Uh, and those that I know, uh, well, I, I'll, I'll leave it at that, doing some wonderful stuff. I won't argue that the reason they're doing it is the effect of Christianity. They grew up in a mostly Christian environment where those values have been instilled within them. They don't know that's why they're doing it. In fact, they say the church has done more harm than good, which is complete nonsense. And so I, I call it the, uh, what, the cut flower civilization. We're still living with some of the values. Some, they're, they're deteriorating. I know I sound like an old doomsday you know, guy that I said it'd never be. Uh, but at least in some ways, those are deteriorating. I mean, I think it's pretty clear as the church declines more and more in America that things are deteriorating, at least as far as, as we can see this. But they're still living in light of what they grew up with. They think that if humans simply used their reason, we would come up with this utopian society. And the fact is, I think what 
we can see that happens in those uh, places where Christianity is given up, and especially after a few generations, it deteriorates to become more like the Roman society at the time of Jesus. It was terrible. And not until Christianity got started and spread across the world, the entire Roman world, and even the emperor became Christian. Not sure that was a completely good thing or, you know, uh, they made Christianity the only religion. That wasn't a good thing either, but there were some advantages that went along with it. And then Western civilization stayed Christian, uh, Christian leaders for the most part, bad Christian leaders, but you had these fundamental teachings being taught. Finally gave people the Bibles, and things, wonderful things happened. Uh, and so the world is a much better place. But these are, these are meta-concerns, is what I'm trying to suggest here. If I take care of my neighbor next door when she's ill, and she, Ill is, and she is, Margot's been doing a lot of that, that is a wonderful kingdom work. Uh, it is marvelous. Uh, for her to do that, she probably needs to be sitting in these classes in that worship. Right? Not going to do it alone. I know there are a few people out there doing it. I think they're really good-hearted people, and they need to be doing it. That's kingdom work even if they don't identify as a kingdom person. I just don't think they know they're doing kingdom work. But our neighbor needs more than just healing and care, right? Uh, remember what Jesus said uh, when the guy said, I want to, uh, you know, the, the lame man, Jesus said, uh, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And I think what Jesus meant, well, that's your biggest problem. I know you're lame. That's terrible. I'm going to fix that. But your sins need to be forgiven. I've gone way over. Uh, what, I, what I wanted to do here is basically just say we're still doing what Adam and Eve were supposed to do. We're still doing what Israel was supposed to do. We're still doing what the prophets said we need to be doing. We're doing what Jesus did. We've been given the spirit that's supposed to make us do better. And I think a lot of the problem is uh, not that the task is to big for us to change the world. My fear is that the world has changed us, and that may be our biggest problem. I hate to say that. I'm so sorry. Please, please come up and, uh, and talk. All right, I'm going to keep with the same theme um, and just raise raise a question for that I think Mark um, Mark's presentation makes us think about. Um, in, in John Mark's book here, he talks about three horizons that Christians have. Um, the first horizon is the present evil age. Some of the things that Mark has been talking about that we can see, that it looks like even though Christ has come, the gospel's out there, we look around and there's still, we still see the present evil age continuing. The second horizon is the fact that there is some joy of the Holy Spirit now as well. So we have some present, uh, some present gifts, some present blessings. So it's not just about it's going to be in the future great. There are some things now that we shouldn't discount. And, and Mark is mentioning some of the things the church has done. And then the third horizon is that we are waiting for this glorious future. 
So we have, we see the, you know, um, I think C.S. Lewis has said something like, we're, we're neither optimistic or pessimistic as Christians. And I, that's interesting that we can be, are we optimistic? Well, we, we see the present evil age. Sometimes it's hard to be optimistic. But we're not pessimistic because we think, but there are, we see some things that can change and some things that are happening. And we have this hope that one day it is leading to something that is glorious. Uh, but John Mark on page 226 says, it can seem that our hopes are mere illusions. This is the quote, mere illusions, the product of self-deception and wishful thinking. And, and that, that's kind of what I want to think about is how do we know that our belief is not just wishful thinking, we're deceiving ourselves, and I just want to open it up to your wisdom as a class. How do you, how would you respond to, because I, I love that John Mark, who throughout the book, you know, he makes these very, he puts it all together and he sounds like he believes it all. And then there's that little statement. Well, maybe we're just, we're kidding ourselves. Maybe we're self-deceived. But what, what, how, how would you respond to the idea that maybe we're just wishful thinking? So wishful thinking on like big scale, like Christ never existed, like there is no Christianity, or are you saying wishful thinking on the good that's happening? Yeah, I guess I'm thinking of it more like the whole, maybe the whole story is just, we believe it because we want to. Mm -hmm. And I guess maybe, I don't know, I'll let you, What? how do you want to follow well, up on that? I don't know, I have this thought, I don't know if it was this morning or yesterday, I don't even know what prompted it, but... It's kind of along those lines. I was like, you know what? If you know, if I found out at the you know end of the day that all of this was just a story, I would not regret believing in it because I still feel like it's such a better. Um, I don't know if like way of life is the right terminology, but you know, this I guess trying to live your life in a way that would emulate how Christ lived is such a better way of going through life than mm -hmm. without it. And so mm -hmm. that's not like, you know, a way yeah. to say, oh, I'm, you should believe what I believe because it's better than anything else out there. But, you know, even if at the end of the day it was not, you know, Yeah. And that's those, pre you know, that's the present <clears throat> the second horizon that you mentioned. There, mm -hmm. there, there is some joy in the present that, or at least a sense of purpose that we have that, you know, sometimes I, I don't want to know the truth. Uh, this is, I'm not going the right direction here, but I, I just like, you know, I'd rather you not tell me that, you know, my clothes don't look great because I'd rather just, why do I need to know that? I'd rather not know that and just go through my life happy, you know, not knowing that I don't look good. But um, yeah, great. I think for me, like, I don't even have to look at other people. I look at myself and it's like, sometimes I really don't want to believe it. Like my, primal instinct would be to be selfish or to be lazy or to be greedy mm -hmm. and that's like at my core what I want to do sometimes but what I've been taught and what Christianity has taught me and what I see with that like that is just a better way to live like I'm happier mm -hmm. when I actually ignore that primal side of me and serve people or give stuff away or realize like I don't have to depend on all this mm -hmm. stuff like yeah. I don't know it's just it's better I yeah. mean it's 
I don't, I don't have to look at somebody else's life. It's all, yeah. this is all like in, in this one body. Yeah. In some ways, we create our own apologetic. We create our own proof through, through how we live. I like that. I'll add something. Yeah. Um, I'm struck by the fact that a lot of people who live in a lot worse circumstances find it easier to believe than we do. Um, I was able, as a like right after I graduated from college, to spend some time in India. And one thing I, that was really evident about the Christians there is they would spend a lot of time in prayer on Sundays and just hearing from Scripture. And, and then throughout the week, they would meet and just pray together. And it was always for faithfulness and always for a sense of distinctive identity in this culture where they really did face all kinds of like economic and physical hardship mm-hmm. because of their faith. And they had so much joy and so much like this sense of a, like a real kind of tangible belief in this that we often kind of lack because we have so much else to comfort us, I think, mm-hmm. to make us feel numb to any kind of problem around us, you know. So I, I find that interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Not only the numbness, but the, uh, the uh, denial of the extremes uh, takes away our appreciation for the opposite ends of the pole. So, again, your example there with folks that are subjected to how bad things can be have uh, far more appreciation for the goodness. Uh, I think that pessimism, op- optimism you referred to in C.S. Lewis is kind of a snapshot of until you kind of capture how bad I could be, how evil I am, you know, the potential I have for evil, then uh, the appreciation for somebody that saved me or took that away, mm-hmm. a savior, is not as apparent yeah. in some situations. Yeah. Good. Steve? I have a three-minute offering thing in, in church right now and I don't have enough time to talk about it. One of the things that really fascinates me is doing water projects in Guatemala and we have some of the largest water engineering firms in the United States paying for that and participating. Most of them I would say are probably not Christian. But there's something about I don't care what career it is, you go in it to do good, mm-hmm. to do something different. And it's so easy if you're, if we have the leaders to say, this is what we're doing when you join us in that. I'd say probably, I don't know, three quarters of these people would not step inside a church, but they'll go on a water project. Mm-hmm. And they're excited about it. And it gives an interesting time for dialogue yeah. and talking. Yeah, there's something about the way we're made, according to our story, that that corresponds to that. That we all have that image of God that's gonna. So if it's true, it's it should trigger some some credibility and some evidence. Uh, so I, I kind of rest in that. Um, I think it, it's easy to be pessimistic. It, it kind of depends on what you want to focus on. Do you want to focus on how the evil age and or do you want to focus? This is why you know sometimes I don't watch the news because it's so easy to focus on all the problems. But we need not to just ignore either. We don't just want to be these optimists that are like, oh no, nothing to see here, nothing. You know, so we're living in between the times, and it's it's really hard to navigate. 
Um, but I, yeah, I guess I rest in the sense of what hope do we have otherwise? Um, and it, it's got to be more than just wishful thinking. Um, I hope so. Yeah. I would argue that we're all born with a sense, not just of right and wrong, but a deep sense of what we want. I mean, we know that lying to people is wrong. Just get yourself on a polygraph machine. It's built into us uh, to know that it's wrong. And, and we know when we're doing it. Uh, uh, we know that being selfish is wrong. We know that there's got to be something better than this. We, we know that this can't be the way it's supposed to be. And so here we have a story that gives an answer to that and gives a purpose to our lives. Uh, and it works. I mean, clearly it works. Authentic Christianity is the only thing that has changed life. Uh, yeah. had this created this kind of transformation across the world. Uh, the, the only beliefs, the only worldview out there that has had an appreciable effect on, at this point, the entire world in an amazing, amazing way. And if we're losing that, it's a complete tragedy. Very good. Well, thank you very much for thinking these thoughts along with us today. Have a great rest of your Sunday.